Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. How he paid the debt to set us free. We are talking about the story of redemption, and uh, I'm glad to be here this morning. You never take anything for granted, right? You go to bed at night, Lord willing, you wake up in the morning, but there's no guarantees, right? So we should be thankful. I hope you're thankful for uh, the opportunity to be here this morning, because it is a, an incredible privilege to just be able to come together. And whether that's being physically present in the room or joining on online, it is a privilege to be spending this time together. I hope you, I hope you feel that way. We've already been blessed by, um, um, by so much this morning in terms of uh, remembering and and, uh, and as well as looking ahead and blessed by the family, right? The family of, of God. And so uh, I am uh, privileged at this time to be to be sharing um, a message from God's Word, and uh, I trust that that will be a blessing and encouragement to you this morning as well. We're talking about the story of redemption, redemption and this morning's uh, sermon is entitled, Christ Our Brother. Now, the, the church of Jesus has historically, from the very beginning, worshipped Jesus Christ as Lord of heaven and earth, the eternal Son of God who was made flesh for us to exist uh, forever in eternity as now fully God and fully man. He was forever God, he became fully man, and now he continues forever as both God and man. Now, there are multiple texts in Scripture and the New Testament that set those uh, things out in, in those terms. Romans chapter 10, Paul talks about it there. Colossians chapter 1 is a well-known passage. Philippians chapter 2 is probably uh, the classic text. Um, but there are also three occasions in the New Testament where the writers refer to the words of David in Psalm 8. And our main text this morning is one of those passages or includes uh, one of those, uh, those references. And so we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 2. And if you want to turn there, uh, we're going to... Uh, Jump into verse 5 and read from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 through verse 18 uh, together as we, or through uh, verse, um, yeah, verse 18 together as we get started. But maybe if I could just pause for just a moment for just another word of prayer. I thank you, Lord, for this tremendous uh, group of people, the relationship bonds that exist here uh, between us, the families, and the family of families. Lord, thank you so much for for the privilege of being together this time. And thank you, Lord, that we can open up your word together. And already we've been blessed by the thoughts from Scripture about how you uh, give us joy and how our joy can be found in you, Lord, alone. Uh, thank you for these things and thank you for your word. Thank you for Hebrews chapter uh, 2 that we'll be looking at uh, this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would be our teacher and that your spirit would have our ears. Um, and, Lord, that you would just... Use your word to accomplish your will today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 2, verse, uh, something in verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. 
It has been testified somewhere, and this is the reference to Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And then he references three different Old Testament passages. I'm reading in verse 12, saying, I will tell your name of my brothers, uh, to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am here and the children God has given me. Verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And through uh, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not to angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And of course, uh, Paul makes the point in Galatians that we are all children of Abraham by faith. Uh, therefore, verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I think if we we're honest, uh, we would have to say that um, it feels sort of uh, sacrilegious maybe to say that Christ is our brother. Uh, it feels like we're putting him on our level, right? We don't often refer to Jesus in those terms. So I think we... we could ask the question, what do the scriptures mean when they refer to Christ um, as our brother? Or in what way or what sense is Christ our brother? Now, in the passage we just read, you may have noticed that uh, the reference to Christ as our brother in verse 17 is associated with his role as our high priest, in the Old Testament or the days of the Old Testament, the role of the prophet was to represent God to the people. The role of the priest was quite different than that. You might say it was kind of the opposite of that because the role of the priest uh, and particularly of the high priest was to represent the people to God. So when the prophet addressed the people, he was representing God to the people. Thus saith the Lord. When the priest uh, ministered or served, he stood before God and represented the people to God. Um, so uh, the last um, two verses there of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect 
so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So it's all about representation, which is all about identification. Uh, Christ identified with us in order to represent us. And that's uh, what the incarnation is, is all about. Verse 18 again says, For because he himself was, has suffered and was tempted, um, so, uh, he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Uh, you may be, uh, if you are an avid Bible reader, you may, your mind may wander at that point a couple of chapters ahead to chapter 4, because in chapter 4, uh, uh, the writer picks up on that thought, and, and continues his thought in verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, is, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then in verse 16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. That whole idea of drawing near to the throne of grace is about, it's about drawing into the presence of God, coming into the presence of God, which, of course, is what the priests did. The whole idea behind the, the, the tabernacle or temple or the house of God, if you will, uh, was that uh, had the idea of coming before the Lord or entering his presence. And so the role of the priest was to represent the people uh, in the presence of God before his throne. I know the correlation between the Ark of the Covenant and the throne of God uh, are significant. Uh, but again, the, the, the central idea, idea being on the, the presence of God amongst his people, his dwelling amongst his people, his, his house. When you come into his house or family, if you will. Um, so this is the author's flow of thought. Uh, in between those two passages we just read are chapter 3 and um, most of chapter 4. Uh, chapter 3 begins by making the point that Jesus is greater than Moses in the same way, and I'm quoting from verse 4 of chapter 3, in the same way that the builder of a house is more honor than the house itself. And then in verse 6 of chapter 3, he, uh, he says, we are God's house. Um, so chapter 3 and most of chapter 4 is a robust admonition to enter in, enter in uh, by faith and not to harden our hearts. Uh, the idea behind that, the priesthood, once again, is that idea of entering into the presence and provision of God and entering into his rest. Uh, the book of Hebrews talks a lot about uh, entering into his rest and don't fail to enter into his rest, that the people of Israel failed to enter his rest because, of the, because they lacked faith. And we are encouraged and we're admonished in chapter 3 and 4 to not harden our hearts, but to be people of faith and to enter into what God has for us through the way that Jesus Christ has made as our great high priest. So there's some of the, of the context of these, these passages. So last week we spent some time considering what it means to belong and how um, personal identity is determined by relationship. What it means to belong, and especially what it means to belong to God, the one who made us and cared enough to redeem us for himself at great personal cost. Redeem means to buy back. When we talk about the story of the redemption, we're talking about the story of God's deliverance, how he delivered us 
and delivers us by, by paying the price and redeeming us, buying us back to himself and for himself. Uh, the story of redemption is the story of Christmas. Um, this week, uh, we're exploring further the willingness of Jesus to identify with us so that he could redeem us. And there's some important concept there that we want to uh, look at. But we want to look at how, how Christ became part of our family in order to redeem us back to God. He became, in a word, our brother. So when we say that the role of the priest is to represent the people to God, uh, what we mean by that, in part, is that uh, the priest served in the place of the people. He represented the people. He served in the people's place. When, that, when the high priest, once a year, brought that on the Day of Atonement, brought that uh, offering, sacrifice, before the Lord um, to be hopefully accepted by God, he did it on behalf of the entire nation. And that was the idea of that. Um, at Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Christ, which is the entrance of Christ into the human family. Um, you hopefully are aware and understand that Jesus pre-existed, that Christ pre-existed before the birth uh, of Jesus. You think about all those times if you've read the Gospel of John where Jesus said things like this. He said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Uh, I, he said that over and over again. I have come down from heaven. He, says, he talks about how the Father sent him. And he, he said things like, which really uh, set the Jew, Jewish uh, religious elite on their, on their heels. He said things like, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus is preexistent. He's the eternal son of God existing in forever and eternity, who became flesh uh, and now exists forever as fully God and fully man. But the whole idea of the Lord of glory being willing to come, being willing to identify with us, uh, to relate to us, to be related to us, it's not uh, inappropriate to say that he became part of our family in order to make us part of his. Why did it have to be that way? Why did he, ha did he have to become one of us? The truth is as incredible as it is wonderful. We've already referenced that idea that Jesus became our high priest. He represented us before, before God. But there's so much to that, biblically speaking. It's, uh, we could spend the rest of eternity wondering about the greatness of the truth of the incarnation of the Lord of glory, the eternal Son of God, becoming a brother to you and a brother to me. Um, in order to be redeemed, you need a redeemer. And uh, in the Hebrew, the term for the one who redeems is uh, goel. Um, now, when it comes to the laws of redemption... We're talking about the story of redemption. When it comes to the laws of redemption written into the, the Old Testament law, we talked a little bit about that last week, the Redeemer was to be the next of kin. In other words, someone who was going to recover, who was going to cover our debt, it needed to be somebody 
who rightly represent, represented the, the person. Um, and that's why in English, we have used the word kinsman redeemer. In the Hebrew, it's one little word, goel. But it was this person who uh, would stand in the place of, pay the debt for, redeem, but it had to be someone who had that uh, right and responsibility to act on behalf of the other person. It's part of uh, family law of the Old Testament, the family law of the Old Testament. Now, there is a, within the, the, the law, as we speak of the law, there is a whole body of legal rights and obligations called family law. You probably are familiar with this. And of course, family law is being uh, slowly dismantled in our current society, but it's, a, it's an extremely important part of the fabric of our society. It uh, deals with things, not only things like marriage and divorce, but it deals with matters of paternity and inheritance, and, and uh, as well as reparations. So, for example, right now, when, when we get to see, at some point, the dust settle on the whole Truth and Reconciliation Commission's action items, who will receive the reparations? In the case of people uh, where the people have been, who have been uh, uh, um, offended, abused, um, treated unjustly, but they're gone. So who can receive those reparations? This is part of family law. It's, it's, uh, it's a really important area uh, for us to have some understanding of. And the Old Testament is full of it. We have a policy in place. We have, we have this thing we, we do uh, where we encourage people to share prayer requests for others. Now, that's a pretty normal thing for church to do, I, I think, right? You would think. Uh, it's a good thing. And if you have something, someone, you're, either yourself personally or someone that you are connected with that could really, really uh, use uh, Special prayer, maybe they're, uh, you know, in a, an acute situation or a crisis in their lives or something, and you like other people to pray for them, you can ask for that. You can ask us and, and we'll, we'll send it out to the church family and say, will you please pray for this person? But we will not do that unless that prayer request is coming from a, 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 a personal family member, immediate family member. Why? Because you and I just don't have the right just to share personal information about people that we're not that connected with. And whether we realize that as a matter of family law or not, it's, again, these are things that have been part of the fabric of our society for thousands of years. And they go all the way back to instructions out of the law, out of God's law in Scripture. I mentioned uh, last week the Old Testament book of Ruth. Uh, it's such a beautiful picture of uh, the kinsman redeemer. I, sh I should say, because I have it in my notes to mention that in regard to that, what I just said a minute ago about family law, law consists of responsibilities and rights. 
Rights and responsibilities. And, and if we, in our day, have such an emphasis on rights and so little emphasis on responsibility, our sense of justice becomes unbalanced. And I think that that's a lot of what's happened in our, in our world. Is we, we talk about rights incessantly, but we don't talk a whole lot about responsibilities. Um, I mentioned the book of Ruth last week. What a beautiful picture is there. I hope that you, you've read that. I hope you read it often. Uh, but but uh, about two and a half years ago, I had the privilege of studying and preaching the, read of the book of Ruth as we made our way through the Bible in three years. And I was so struck at that time, and it's, it's lingered with me still, how the, the, the message of the kinsman redeemer, the, or the Goel, in the book of Ruth, the narrative of the book of Ruth, um, is such a profound indication of how redemption works and how Christ had to first identify with us before he could pay the price for us. Perhaps an illustration will work. Let's say you have a brother who's always getting himself in trouble. And so the phone rings in the middle of the night. <laughs> Some of you are taking this real personal, I know. Um, the phone rings in the middle of the night, and it's the call. So you make, get up and you make your way to wherever it is, and you arrive on the scene, and you realize that your brother has made a scene. In fact, they've made a complete fool of themselves. And you have to what? Well, the very first thing you have to do is identify with your brother. Now, you might not want to at that point. You might take a look around and look at that, the, the carnage and the mess and the embarrassment, and you might just say, I don't know this guy. Shades of Peter come to mind. I do not know the man. What are you talking about? What are you doing calling me brother? You're not my brother. I don't know you. Who is this guy anyway? Or you would at least be tempted to do that. To disown him. And of course, that's what the Philippians chapter 2 passage is about, right? How Christ cared enough to claim us as his own. And, and make no mistake about this, Jesus not only identified himself with the human race, he identified himself with a sinful human race. Now, Jesus, he says in Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus himself never sinned, but he identified with sinners. In fact, Scripture says that he earned the reputation of being what? A friend of sinners. How do you earn a reputation like that? Well, Jesus earned it by being a friend of sinners. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was, was untrue. He actually was because he spent time with them and he identified with them. But then to complete the illustration of you and your brother, you have to not only identify with, the, the, with your brother. There's a word for how that feels, by the way. There's a biblical term. It's called humiliation. And it does tell us that Christ was humiliated on our behalf. 
He was humiliated for us. He didn't deserve anything that he, that he received as he laid down his life and paid the price for us. He didn't do it because of his own sin, because he had no sin. He did it for us. Why? Because he was identifying with us. Um, so the first thing you have to do is identify, but then, then you got to pay for the damages, right? Or at least according to the story of redemption, you need to go good for the cost. The scholar uh, Leon Morris, who was a tremendous biblical scholar, points out in his commentary on the book of Ruth that in Job chapter 3, verse 5, and biblical commentators believe the book of Job to be uh, the, the oldest book in the Bible, sat in the times of the patriarchs of Genesis. And in Job chapter 3, verse 5, uh, Leon Morris says, we get a sense of the meaning of redeem or, or goel as to claim as our own, to acknowledge as kin. Now, kin is kind of an old word, isn't it? We don't use it a whole lot more unless we're watching the Beverly Hillbillies or something. And I, and I haven't watched the Beverly Hillbillies for a long time, which is my loss because they don't put it on TV anymore. And I would watch, I would watch it over almost everything that's on, but that's okay because I'm old and, and society doesn't cater to me anymore. It caters to all you younger people. But um, <laughs> it's an old word. But think about it. What does it mean to be kin? Well, the kinsfolk understood what it meant. And I think we would do well to understand what it means as it comes to us in biblical history. Bible scholar Otto uh, Prochik says that it is a concept in family law the family law of the Old Testament. And C. Ryder Smith says, to do the part of a kinsman is the best way to translate the word. <laughs> Goel in Hebrew, such a little word, but such a big idea. He says, to do the part of a kinsman is the best way to translate the word. And listen to what he says. He says this, he says, one could wish that there were some such English verb as to kinsmen. Or maybe to be a brother. Morris says of the Hebrew goel, which proliferates the Old Testament, he says differing translations, because it's, the word's used throughout, the Old Testament everywhere. He says different translations are necessary in different passages because you have shades of meaning, right? But we should not miss the connections nor overlook the strong family sense, which is basic. What he means is that the idea of family is in all the usages. Even though you have shades of meaning, the common connector is this idea of family. So, 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 if we were to ask the question, in what sense is Christ our brother, maybe we should answer it like this. Christ is our brother in the very truest sense of the term. Because that's what brothers do. 
You know, all along through our study this fall of justice and mercy and humility, we were seeing a responsibility to others as a reflection of how the Lord thinks about us and how the Lord treats us and how the Lord acts on our behalf. So, for example, when we were looking at the story of the Good Samaritan, we were thinking not only of what it means to be a Good Samaritan, but we were hopefully realizing that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. He's the one that says, listen, do whatever it takes and put it all on my tab. Because he's the Goel, the Redeemer, the one who redeems. He related himself to us. He became our relative. In fact, he became our close relative. In fact, he became our next of kin, our brother. It's not too much to say that he became part of our family in order to make us part of his family to redeem us and to pay the price. And what price did he pay? Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrated his love for us and that yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If you reflect back on Hebrews chapter 2 and the verses 14 and 15, and I won't be much longer this morning because I pretty much made uh, the point that, that's been kind of speaking to my heart, well, for years really, but especially uh, this week as I've dug into some of this material again. But Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise took, partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who is, has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus is both a priest and our sacrifice because he sacrificed himself. If you go back and read through the redemption laws, if you go to Leviticus, for example, Leviticus chapter 25, and you read through those redemption laws there, and I hope you will do that, but one of the words that stands out is the, term, is the word brother. In Leviticus 25, when it's spelling out the redemption laws, it starts, each of the sentences start, starts with the words, if your brother kind of reminds me of uh, when this fall again, when we uh, referenced Genesis chapter 4, when Cain stood before the Lord and said, am I my brother's keeper? It reminds me of that. What was the issue? Responsibility. What was the motive? Love. Because that's what brothers do. The exact opposite of what Cain did. And we were in the book of Acts. Do you remember being in the book of Acts last spring and how the term brothers is so significant there? And, in, and you come into the latter chapters and, and you have the Gentiles referring to the Jews as brothers and the Jews referring to the Gentiles as brothers. It's the story of redemption, the Christmas story. How he came and why he came. Now, redemption has that within it that commercial sense of buying back, paying the debt, paying the bill, but it also has this, this sense of uh, family, this, this uh, relationship. And so the theme of redemption is huge. Next week, uh, Lord willing, Josh is going to lead us through some of the New Testament passages that, uh, or at least he's going to reference some of the New Testament passages where the, where the, the concept of redemption is picked up by, by the apostles and Paul in particular and what it means for you and I as Christians today. 
But, um, but the story of redemption, the theme of redemption is huge. The Christmas story is the story of redemption. And uh, it pulls in, pulls in uh, virtues of justice and honor and valor and sacrificial love and kindness and peace and harmony and solidarity and cooperation and goodwill and blessing. And it all has to do with family. And it all has to do with our identity as God's people because he's redeemed us. But in order to do that, he first had to become our brother. You know, the author of the book of Ruth, I mentioned a moment ago, but the author in Ruth goes to great length to remind us over and over again of Ruth's identity. Uh, that is to say, her nationality. She wasn't a Jew. She was a Moabite woman, a Moabitess. And of course, she was a woman. <laughs> so um, I want to take just a second this morning to say that everything that we've talked about and everything I've said about brothers. The Bible uses the word brother often the way it uses the word man. It can refer to a male sibling, but it also is used in a bigger way. So when Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He wasn't just talking about men. And when the term brother is used in scripture, it is often referenced more to brethren. And the old people understood this. And the people of biblical times, they understood it. That's why they didn't have to keep saying ancestors, 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 because they knew that women were included in that. So, so ladies, Jesus is identified with you as well. He identified with you and me, us. Um, I think we've lost, we've lost that, and, it's, and, and so it's, it's a language issue. It's a language issue. It's how we understand uh, culture, and language and culture are entwined, and, and as our culture changes, we're losing a lot of our understanding about the words that we use. So women are no way excluded, in no way excluded uh, from this at all. Uh, in fact, uh, <laughs> biblically speaking, um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, Adam says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. What's his point? He's identifying. Um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. It's both. So I just, that's a little bit of a, of a side, but I thought it was worth pointing out. I, wanna, I want to, uh, to uh, finish up. And, uh, you know, today Jesus is risen and he's exalted to the right hand of the Father. He laid his life down for us. He came into this world, identified with us, 
became our brother, and then as our faithful brother, our Goel, our redeemer, he laid down his life for us and paid the price. But God raised him up, um, Philippians chapter 2, and exalted him and, given, and has given him a name that is above every name. And uh, he is eternal. God became fully human, exists forever as fully man and fully God. He lives in heaven today at the right hand of the Father, but he is our Goel, our Redeemer, and he has the scars to prove it. Theologically speaking, yes, the cross overshadows the manger because he came for that reason. But the manger is how he came. And how he came and why he came go together. They're both very, very important. They depend on each other. He was willing to identify with the likes of you and me. That much. Because that's what, that's what a brother does. It starts with his willingness to identify with us. But now I want to do a little bit of a close with this. Are we willing to identify with him this Christmas? Because I know we're going to have opportunities to do that. And I hope we will. Because the world desperately needs for us to bear witness to who Jesus is, how he came, and why he came. Do you want to stand and we can pray together? Lord Jesus, we are so humble when we think about your great love for us and your willingness. To, to come. To stand up, step forward, and to stoop down. From the highest heaven to the gutters of this world, and yet without sin, to be our perfect brother, our Goel, our Savior our Lord, our Redeemer. Thank you, Lord, for the redemption that we have in you, that you were willing to identify yourself with us at an incredible cost and how you paid that cost. For the joy set before you, it says in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before you, you endured that cross. Thank you that you love us that much and that you rejoice in us and delight in us even though we are so unworthy. 
please, Lord, that you would use us this Christmas season to spread the word, to not just to sound it out, but to live it out and to wear it on our faces. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen.